The following interview is part two of a two-part series with Sophie Zhang, Facebook whistleblower. This interview took place in August 2021. With your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Yo, Chris, you still here, man? You know it, man. Round two, here I am. Nice. Hey, what you feeling? You want another one? You know I do, but I don't remember what I had. (laughs) Okay, you know what? Now that I think about it, probably not a good idea. So I got something else lined up for you. I got to get you a lemon drop. I've heard of that drink before, but how do you make it? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It was actually first squeezed the life in San Francisco sometime during the badass 70s. Its inventor was actually an out-of-work Vietnam vet turned saloon owner. Pretty cool, huh? We're going to add two ounces of vodka, half ounce of triple sec, one ounce of lemon juice, one ounce of simple syrup. Shake it with ice, strain it into a glass. Down it, then drop it like it's hot. Damn, that's good. Bro, you know me. It's why they call me the real deal. Check my status, brah. Thanks, man. Hey, I got to get back to the end of the bar. Okay. I'll check out your Twitter feed, at Chris Glitz. That's at C-H-R-I-S-G-L-I-T-Z. We'll see you next round, bro. So Sophie, at the time that you left Facebook, you decided to write an exit memo that was intended to be read internally by your peers at Facebook with the purpose of making others within the organization aware of what was happening. Yes, I was. I wasn't sure that I would write it until the very end. I was worried about it being leaked, which actually happened. I wrote it in an all-nighter. Oh, wow. I went to, I started writing it at like midnight. I stayed up until like 7, 8 a.m. Then I took a quick four hour nap. <laughs> and I published it that afternoon, like an hour or so before I left the company. So, so this is sort of a tradition of sorts at Facebook. So, so, I, so every company is different, of course. At Facebook, employees had, were able to regularly say things to the entire company. They had essentially Facebook for work. It was called Workplace. And there was a tradition that when you leave the company, you post a picture of your badge and you write something. It's, I mean, usually it's something very tried, like I'm leaving, here's what I'm doing next. Thank, thank you very much to all my friends and peers and to people who worked with you, great. Love you, great, great time spending time with you. But there's also people who've written more controversial things. Like in the past, some have been taken down for being, for being, for saying things that the company was not happy with. And 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 so and so the 
And so along with that, there was created an innovation that people would start posting things, uh, posting it also externally on a website, password protected with the password that they would only share in the post to basically dissuade the company from taking it down because they could take it down internally, but they could still have trouble taking it down from the website. The other employees would still have access to the website. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and so, and so I did, and so I did that too, because the company, the company took it down internally within, within, a, within an hour or two, probably two or three hours, sorry. Then, then they started trying to get me to take it down on my, on my, on my website. I told them that they restore it. If they, I'd take it down if they restore the internal version. They told me they'd get back to me. And next thing I knew, the next, next thing I knew, my, my website told me that, they, that, that they'd, they'd taken down my hosting service after a request from Facebook. My domain provider went down a few days later. Really? But you owned it though, right? Yeah, I mean yes, but I mean you do sign c- contracts with, with with domain providers and hosting services, and and they were and, and they would like Facebook alleged that you violated copyright something something abusive proprietary documents. Is that something something? I mean, yeah. I mean, I can I can forward you I can forward you it if if you want. Like, I don't I don't want people to go after the hosting services or dom- or, or, or domain registrar. Like, I don't blame them. Like, no one wants to make enemies of Facebook. I'm sure. Like at the end of the day, it was still the best five dollars a month I ever spent. It bought another half hour of life. It bought another half day of lifespan for my internal post. There was a giant internal uproar, and eventually they had to restore it. I think. Gotcha. So then it was leaked by an insider that had access to it. It was leaked. Through, it was leaked to others after Facebook imp- restored the internal the post internally after a large employee outcry. It's it, over my over my objections. I tried to talk them out of it. Buzzfeed is a, but I, I was not successful. Buzzfeed stayed up and stayed up in an all nighter to write the article about my own thing written in an all nighter, which may tell you all you need to know about how thoroughly how thorough it was. So, how would you describe your relationship with Facebook now? I have not heard. I've. I have not spoken with anyone from Facebook since that September. The last conversation I had to them was attempting to get them to was to was after my was after my website was taken down and 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 etc. Yeah. So in April this year, uh, Guardian published an article about your story, and you started gaining this media attention. Uh, so no one from Facebook has reached out to you at all to make an attempt at a resolution. No one has reached out that that I that I'm aware of. Like they're making statements about me, of course, in the articles. It's you. If you reach out to them, they'll give. I'm sure they'll give you their own statement. If you pay attention, close attention to the statement. What they like to do is that they like to give responses that look like they're denying things without actually denying by refusing to talk about the specifics and instead talking about generalities. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to I'm going to give you an analogy or example. Like Alex, sorry to use you as an example. If Chris turns to you, to you and says, we, we, reco- we recorded that podcast. You were supposed to put it up yesterday. Did you put up the podcast yesterday online? And you're like, 
I always prioritize putting up our podcasts. Putting up podcasts and making sure our listeners can listen to us is very important. I have put up large numbers of podcasts online in the past in the past year. I have put I have uploaded more podcasts this year, fifty percent more than last year. Putting up podcasts will always be a, a, will always be a work that it has to and it will never be fully completed. <laughs> That's basically what Facebook's response is like. In the- yeah, it's a, it's a very good marketing statement with nothing but facts, not addressing the actual question. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, and all of that may all be true, but it does not actually answer the question, which is, did you upload the podcast last night? You were supposed to, I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. No, that, that is a really good example. And, and I, think, I think for me... Um, you know, that, that rings true too, because that's usually the, when you get a request for comment, you know, and when the media gives a request for comment for these large corporations or, or whether, you know, I don't even want to generalize the large corporations, but typically whenever these articles, they're all canned responses. You're absolutely right. It's just like, yes, we do this. Yes, we do this as well as we possibly can, but we're not going to actually address your very specific question at all. Yeah. So. I mean, that's, that's how companies function and operate. I mean, they, I mean, usually they don't, I mean, they, I think, like, I think they try to avoid giving direct dice unless they can help it. And so what's left to them is obfuscation or indirect dice by omission or, or misleading statements or et cetera. Like when they do actually directly lights because they can't, they can't afford to tell the truth because it's too controversial or whatever. But I mean, certainly I can't read Mark's mind or Andy Stone's mind for that matter. Did you talk to Mark at all? <laughs> That's a good question. So, so I was extremely low level to the extent I talked with Mark. It was during week. It was during the company has what's co- what's called weekly Q and A sessions where where employees vote on questions. They can vote on any question. They 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 can go up to they can go up to they can go up to they can go up and ask Mark questions on their own if they want. And so what I and so to the extent I. T- talked with Mark, it was in public during question and answer sessions of this format, and they were not very interesting or useful or informative questions. Gotcha. And it's ironic because on record, Mark Zuckerberg has called for content regulation, as well as, you know, stress the need for election integrity. Yeah, I mean, and like part of the issue is that these were not elections that people care about. Part of the issue is that, I mean, if you focus on inductions and you don't pay attention to countries after rigged elections, where it's no induction for the next four years, and you don't focus on countries that officially have elections but are so democratic that in 2013 they accidentally released election results a day before the actual election hmm. that happened in Azerbaijan, I wish I were joking. Wow, and 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 so and so, like when he says he's focused on elections, I mean it's, I mean, I mean it's, it's true, but it's elections like the United States, like United Kingdom, like Germany, like like Taiwan, etc. And even when he's focused, it's like, like I mean, often it's like fighting the last war perpetually. I mean, um, that's my assessment of what happened in the United States because, of course, Facebook focused on protecting the 2020 elections and. Then January 6th still happened. Yeah. And like you said, those statements could very well have been made within a limited scope, right? Which sort of in a way controls what the public interprets. 
or how the public interprets it? From a, a solution standpoint, from from a, you know, how do we go on from here? Um, you know, what do you have any, you know, do you have any ideas around what Facebook should have done? I mean, obviously, you know, we talked about being an idealist um, and everybody being treated equal. Um, but, it, you know, that's obviously a long term. I would call that a long term goal. Right. Um, yeah. The world doesn't really work that way at this point. So in, in the short term, is there anything that, you know, you think could just make this, you know, a better experience for everyone? Um, you know, maybe something as easy as stopping, right. Just stopping the fake accounts, the fake page accounts, right. That would be something pretty simple that I think they could do, uh, from a detection standpoint. Like ultimately, I think it's important to be realistic about what's going to happen and incentive and the motivations and incentives, because obviously like if Mark wakes up the next day and has an epiphany and realizes he should have different priorities, I would potentially help fix things. But I think it's important to be realistic and focus on the role that we have. So so talking just, just about realistic changes, because otherwise we're asking questions like, if the sky could be any country, what country would you like it to be? <laughs> just about realistic changes. Like... With regards to a realistic change that could happen at Facebook, the company, that I don't expect them to make on their own, but could happen realistically. Like like at Facebook, the people who make decisions about what gets acted on, what's taken down or, or, or left alone, they're called the policy people. And they're also the same people who do outreach to look to governments and politicians and other important people. And as you can expect, this leads to natural conflicts of interest. It's like, it's like how... It's like having your judge be someone who's best friends with you and and regularly goes out go go for golfing and drinks with you. And 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 so Facebook is a company whose goal is to make money. But it's also true that most news organizations are private entities. And for most news organizations, the editorial department is kept very separate from from people who go out and talk to important people. And it would be right. Yeah. Like at any news agency, it would be a giant scandal. It would be unthinkable for a piece to be ready to be published and then killed because you made an important figure look bad. That would be unthinkable. At Facebook, that's just another Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's a lot of the problem. And because, and just about why this is important, backing up a bit, like we talked about a lot of cases in which I found things in countries that were not considered priorities, like Honduras and Azerbaijan. But I also found things in countries that were considered priorities like India, because India is, of course, a very large and populous country. Facebook values India greatly. And so, and so when I found things in India, it was a priority for Facebook to take down. And I found four different networks. We had taken down three of them. We were about to take down the fourth when suddenly we stopped because we realized the fourth network was personally run by an Indian politician, an Indian member of parliament from the ruling political party. And then suddenly st- everything stopped and they could never get any straight answer about what, what should be done with this. Like we would keep talking about other things, we, uh, we, we would keep, like I would, and I would always say, but what about this? If we're taking down this other thing, shouldn't we take down this to avoid accusations that we've been selective and been unfair? And they was always ignored and not got a response. And when someone ignores you, when you send a message, maybe they just missed it. But when you, they keep ignoring your messages, when you talk to them and are having a conversation, they talk to you about other things, but they ignore you on this specific thing, it's very obvious that something unusual is going on. 
on that they're trying to retain implausible deniability for. And so India was a priority, but it's not a priority in the for, in the way that I think the Indian people would like and consider to be reasonable. And that's what I want to highlight when I and what and, and the reason that I'm suggesting this because ultimately I because ultimately I, I think this person was too important for for us to, for for Facebook to want to take down, which was a previous effect. It creates the fact that politicians are incentivized to do things without hiding. It's like I mean, the analogy would be like if a, if a major politician robs a bank while wearing a mask, the police arrest him and then they can't unarrest him once they realize who they caught. But if the police, but if the major police politician robs the bank without wearing the mask, the police just let them, him go on. And they're like, well, I guess major politicians can just rob banks anytime they want now. Like that's the opposite of what you want. Right. And so, and so that's one potential solution on the part of Facebook. And I don't know whether the government can mandate or require that. With regards to solutions from regu- the other ideas for solutions they have have to do more with governmental intervention and regulation. And the, and the main goal is resolving the information asymmetry that I talked about earlier, because Facebook knows the issues it has, but people outside of Facebook do not. And so, on the most on the most surface level of things, this can be as easy as requiring companies like Facebook to provide more information, like requiring companies to like empowering outside researchers and requiring companies to provide some information to outside researchers in controlled circumstances. And more transparency, yeah, transparency, yeah. and then and then you know, I, I, in the government, I think they use the term watchdog groups, right? Watchdog groups are, are third parties that, that yeah. look out for. Things like conflicts like, of interest. Yep. Like ultimately, you cannot trust any organization to police itself. And correct. And 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 another suggestion I have that would probably be much more controversial is is that is that governments can, with the knowledge and and a consent of the social media companies, but not knowledge of the specific details, set up controlled red team style penetration tests to test how good the companies are actually at catching this. Because even the companies don't know what they don't know right now. And so what I'm talking about would be, for instance, the CIA goes on, or FBI goes on Facebook, the MI6 goes on Facebook, and they set up networks of fake accounts with the intent of seeing how many the company actually catches. And then they can announce Facebook caught 1 out of 10, Twitter caught 0 out of 10, Reddit caught 0 out of 10. They're all awful. Facebook is mildly less awful than all of them, or something like that. And, and this can be used for other for other things too. Like again, this would be extremely controversial. But if you are trying to look, for instance, at how good networks are at detecting and stopping the spread of child pornography, which is certainly a widespread problem, then you can have, in very controlled circumstances, governmental agencies send and upload child pornography to see what percentage of it is caught. And I don't think this would ever be politically feasible because people because people would cry out and and stop it, and it would have to be done very carefully to avoid inflicting actual harm and real world consequences. But a lot of the issue right now is 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 that even the companies themselves don't ultimately have a good don't have have a good sense of what they don't know for inauthenticity. We know what we're catching, but we don't know what we're not catching. Right. You don't know what you don't know until yeah, until it happens, right? Or until you figure it out. So completely to your point. I mean, we, we deal with this all the time. So in the cybersecurity industry, uh, you know, red teaming is is a normal thing. We're we're constantly 
you know, stress testing and, and penetration testing networks and, and, you know, cybersecurity resources to figure out where the flaws are like that, that should be a normal policy within any system to be completely honest. And it should be third party. Yeah. The difficult, the difficulty for what I'm suggesting is that usually the red teaming, it happens, but it happens if the company contracts with third parties or etc. In the, in this specific scenario, I'm suggesting that the governments conduct red teaming operations uh, at third parties, and and that gets in, and that can get into the black hat territory or etc. Because I mean the company, I mean this is not as this is not entirely in the interests of the companies. The companies don't want to be embarrassed, right? Understood. I, I, and I was thinking, you know, just to just to bounce an idea off of you, since you've obviously thought about this a lot more than, than you know, both Chris and I combined for the next couple of years. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, you know, from a verification standpoint, it, you know, I, I see this all the time and I'm, I'm a fairly I'm a fairly regular Twitter user. Right. And one of the things that, that you regularly will see is, you know, name plus a million numbers. And, and typically that's a good indication that, that somebody is, you know, a, a brand new account or or, you know, a, a non-human account, if you will. And that's a, that's a fairly easy way to identify that. And I was curious, you know, Twitter obviously has a verification process um, that people go through to get verified. Um, you know, is that, something, is that something that Facebook is considering? Or, any, you know, did, did you ever hear anything about that from, from you know, their side? Like Facebook also has blue check. I mean, Twitter has blue check mark verified users. Facebook also has blue check mark verified pages, as far as I know. So I'm not sure that. I mean, I think this is something that they already have. But I mean, I'm not. I'm. I don't think I'm misremembering this. But no, but no you're fine. No, you're I'm fine. I, I could be. I could be wrong because I'm not a Facebook user. Full disclosure. <laughs> I, I'm not a Facebook user. This. This gets into, you know, bot technology as well and the need to identify and stop bot activity um, and shutting those accounts down because shutting those accounts down will minimize the impact of false information that's spread on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like ultimately, you won't be able to ever find every, every fake account. The only way to stop fake accounts is to shut down the social network, which obviously you don't want to do. And because, I mean, you always enter areas in which you're uncertain about who's about, about we're 98% sure that this person is about, is that enough to act? What if they're a real person? What if they got it wrong? And and so and so that it's a major issue in any cybersecurity area, I'm sure. Like, but but and I think that's why I focused on the cases that I worked on, in which I, we found cases. That everyone agreed that it was that it was bad, that it was fake accounts being run to to support. But it, like finding things is usually the hard part. It can be finding like finding a needle in the haystack. But once the hard part is done, and no one, and everyone agrees that it's terrible, and not, and and but but not, but nothing is done for a year, then you realize that you have another problem as well. Yeah, and again, I, I might I make it off on a tangent here, but this, this I want to tie this back to the verification question. So now that I know, since again I'm not a Facebook user, now that I know they have a verification process and that does exist, why don't they require you to be verified? And wouldn't that take care of a lot of the low hanging fruit issues that? They're seeing across the board from, you know, a fake account creation and all those other things. I think that they are like I think that there are significant and reasonable privacy concerns around requiring verification. 
that I mean, if you required everyone to show you identification, I mean, that would be very that would be very off-putting for many for many people who are cons- quite understandably quite understandably do not trust Facebook with a driver's license or passport or social security card or whatever. And a separate pro and and this would this would probably cut out a lot of the human fruit. I agree, but I mean, there's also the human cost of of acting this way that doesn't need to be that 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 does need to be considered. And I would also add that it would not solve the entire problem. Like 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 when when issue like this was actually an issue I started having in Honduras after the first takedown. I started seeing more fake accounts in in Honduras that were linked to the old network, and we and we required a bunch of them to go through identity identity verification, and a number of them were able to pro, to provide government issued ID, and 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 this was used to argue against me. I was I was it saying saying that I had gotten it wrong. I was skeptical because this I was skeptical personally because these were users that appeared fake. That were that were con- that were connected to a known uh, network of fake accounts that w- were previously run by the Honduran government that were now able to provide Honduran government ID. I was not convinced that the ability of people who were known to be connected to the Honduran government to provide Honduran government ID w- was proof that they were real accounts, considering the circumstances. The levels of fraudulent activity go deeper than just Facebook. Is is I think what you're. <laughs> what you're getting at there, right? Like, 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 ultimately, like, ultimately, it's sort of the red, like the red queen problem. Nothing. You, there's always an arms race between the people who want to do bad things and the people who are trying to stop and catch them. And you will never solve the problem fully. But, but the question is how you can make it more difficult for them. For, uh, even if it's just difficult enough that they go on Twitter instead of Facebook to do this. Because because everything else they need to do, like printing fake IDs, like pre, like 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 living and sleeping and eating and drinking on on, on US servers when you're based in Russia, like like I'm always using a VPN and and never using the real IP address. Like all of these are taxing and and require require time and effort. And the question isn't how you make it impossible; it's how do you make it require enough real person effort that people don't feel want that they want to do it right and i think a significant part of that is also just the penalty for 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 the people we catch because i mean the people we do catch are always going to be a subset uh, of the overall number and like in criminal justice debates people this debate between punitive justice and rehabilitative justice but essentially facebook is doing neither right now for this problem Right, and so it can be like trying to empty the ocean with the colander. Like, imagine a scenario in which someone robs a bank, and and you catch this person, and your reaction is you take away their bank robbery tools, you the, the money that they spent that they robbed that they stole has already been spent, and you can't get it back, and you put a picture of them in the newspaper. We caught this person robbing a bank. We stop. We 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 confiscated his tools. He should not do it again. Like this is not enough incentive to prevent the person from robbing the bank in the future. They got the, they got, they got their take. They made away with it. They spent it. They used it. There's no reason for them not to do it again. And this is precisely what Facebook does right now. Like, quite frankly, I think that in certain cases on Facebook, it's very certain of the identity of of perpetrators, and they're connected to major politicians or to local to or to governments. They should make an example of them. 
I mean, this is part of the reason I've chosen to come forward because 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 dictators were clearly not afraid of Facebook's journey worded statements, but 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 now they have to also worry in the future not just that Facebook will write a statement to train them out, but also that some random Facebook employee will decide to come forward and, and torture her career to spend the next few months dragging them through the mud. Like that's the only thing I can do to impose an additional cost and price, and I'm trying my best to do it. That's exactly right. No, I I agree with you there, and I think you know anything that they do from from a disciplinary action hurts their bottom line, right? So I think you know slapping people on the wrist is is the best way to a keep people on the platform, but b make it look like they're policing things to a degree that should satisfy you know. Just enough. They're doing just enough is, is how I would describe that, right? To keep people. Like, I think the political considerations are quite important for Facebook. Like, if they ban a major politician in India, that, like, India is already threatening to, to arrest Facebook employees. If they ban, if they, if they ban a, 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 a road government, that government can decide to ban Facebook in, in turn. Obviously, we, you know, all three of us here probably know that a major American political figure was was banned from Facebook uh, for for a certain amount of time um, for the things that were being said, and it's it's a really interesting case because it wasn't a permanent ban. Um, you know, unlike other social media platforms, it was a permanent ban. Um, but in this case, it, it was reevaluated by what they called the board. Do you do you have any insight to what that like oversight board is, or were they involved in anything that that was going on with you? So, so, so talking about the oversight board, the oversight board was a new creation. I think they were created in, in like the, the the end of twenty twenty after my departure. And I think they were an initiative created that, that were advocated by Nick by Nick Clegg or something like that. They're they're an they're an officially independent group of of of, act, of academics, legal experts, etc., who are tasked with assessing appeals based on content. And so your question was, did you interact with them? And the answer is, of course, no, because they, they were after my time. But I want to focus more on them and talk about them and, and, and what would have happened if they existed when I was at Facebook, because they would not have interacted with me. And I want to explore the question of why. The first, the, the first part is that the oversight board focuses on content violations, not behavioral and authenticity violations. What I mean is when someone is when someone has a post taken down for saying that the earth is flat, or has or has a post taken down for saying everyone of this ethnic group is evil, you should kill them. And then that is the type of case that they assess. They do not assess cases of, for instance, fake accounts or such, which I mean, I got that these are mostly lawyers and legal experts. And they're focused on things, and 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 they want to focus on individual cases. They want to focus on things that they understand, and it's probably not their expertise to look at data that assesses that this account is fake. With that said, it restricts the activity to a, to a large to to a small subset. The second, so let's let's put that. Let's put that issue to the side and assume that perhaps, suppose the oversight board in this example did include behavioral violations. 
The second issue is that the, the oversight board is about appealing Facebook enforcement. Once Facebook takes something down, the oversight board sees that person trying to get it restored. They do not look at cases in which people say this should be taken down and Facebook disagrees. And, what they, and so the consequence of that is that the government of Honduras, in this, in this example that the oversight board did cover behavioral violations, in that example, the government of, of Azerbaijan could appeal to have its troll farms restored after I took it down. I could not appeal to get the troll farms taken down in the first place. And so this is essentially, and so essentially, it's focused only on one, direc- one direction. It's like a ratchet effect. It makes it it restricts enforcement. It does not enable any new one. If that makes sense, it, it does. It's it's appeals. It's appeals court only. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yes. Like I, I, in an ideal world, I think the oversight board should allow face it should allow Facebook employees and 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 skilled and and certain levels of researchers and academics to appeal for to, to for enforcement as well. But that is not the world in which we're living. The third part is that the oversight, like the oversight, the oversight board looks at individual cases they don't look at rules and and the and and the i'm not doing a good job of explaining this i'm going to use an analogy jaywalking is illegal in most of the united states i believe that does not mean that people actually obey jaywalking laws if you have a court decide the question of is jaywalking illegal or not they will say jaywalking is illegal. It says so in the statute, but it does not answer the question of who should be arrested for jaywalking because the police will usually only arrest you for jaywalking when you if you jaywalk on a highway and cause a twenty car power or something ridiculous like that. Like like bikes are legally required to stop at stop signs, but most bicyclists do not stop at stop signs. <laughs> I'm sorry to be one of the exceptions here. <laughs> and so, and so, like getting the court to rule the question of should the bicycle stop at stop signs again, it will have an obvious answer, and the obvious answer will not resolve anything because the question because the gap is not in is this violating or not. It's in enforcement. It's the discretion of the police. If that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And so, and so, no one was saying that what I found was all right. It very clearly violated. They were saying it shouldn't be a priority. We're concerned about the responses from political figures, etc. It no one was defending it on its merits, and no one was saying that it was so right. Rather, it was that it was not considered a priority, and that's very different. In terms of how you have been portrayed, you've been labeled as a quote unquote whistleblower. In your opinion, is that an accurate description of you or do you feel like the term whistleblower is being used out of context? So so this is whistleblower is a word that has a legal meaning and a word that has a colloquial meaning. Legally, the word whistleblower refers to someone at an organization who who reveals illegal conduct by that organization. In that, by that definition, I am not a whistleblower. Colloquially, whistleblower means someone who someone who reveals wrongdoing or or other bad behavior by an organization that they were a part of. By the colloquial definition, I'm a whistleblower. The analogy would be maybe how colloquially L.J. Simpson is referred to as a murderer, and legally he's not a murderer, or something like that. 
and and so that's and so because I mean nothing that I'm revealing what's illegal on the part of Facebook. I mean, no one thought that there should be laws against this in the first place. So, and I'm trying to be very precise about definitions and meanings because it's important to agree on what we're talking about when we discuss it. It is very important. It is, and it is, and and then when people read headlines or they read articles, you know, you want to make sure that that's clear in terms of how you feel. And it's important for everything to be in the context of what it actually is versus what you want them to believe. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like I, I was caught a whistleblower as, as soon as September last year when I wrote my memo and it got leaked to BuzzFeed. I was, I was like, I could meet the definition of an internal whistleblower, but I would not have considered myself colloquially a whistleblower at the time because the term implied that I came forward to the public myself, which I did not. Right. I consider myself to be a whistleblower now by the colloquial definition because I did when they choose to come forward. So I, I, I did have one one question um, left on my list. I was curious, um, you know, since obviously you have you have internal knowledge from Facebook inner workings, you know, you work there. Um, this all happened under the guise of, of, of Facebook and their regulations. Do you see you know, do you, for externally, do you see similar things happening happening on other social media platforms? Like Twitter is a good example, right? And, and because most of what happens on Twitter is political, or a lot of what happens on Twitter is political, it, do you see similar things, or is it just you don't have context because you don't see the inner workings of those those companies? I do not have context. I do not have the. I do not. I can, like. I certainly did not work at those companies. I do not have any internal knowledge of how things work at the companies. Like from the out, from my vantage point on the outside, I have no reason to expect them to be different. But, but because, I, but I mean, but you have no evidence one evidence one way or the other because not having insider knowledge. That's 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 correct. I think. I mean. I think right now I'm probably doing the same where people assume that their knowledge is broadly applicable and it's not clear whether that's the case or not. Understood. One, one comment that I wanted to make about how you said, you know, a verification system would essentially force people to, you know, give, give their ID or do some other form of identification and they might think that's intrusive. I, I find that hilariously ironic that they're willing to give up every detail about their life willingly on this platform. But when it comes to being asked for some form of data up front for verification, people would be opposed. <laughs> so I, I just find that an interesting juxtaposition. I think it's important to I, mean, I think it's important to meet people where they come. And I think that giving ID can be can be very I mean like, like giving IDs has a lot more serious fina- financial risks with regards to identities afterwards, etc. And like personally, as someone who worked at Facebook, I know that it's not used to, for abusive purposes, but people outside the company don't know that and will have reason to take my word for that. And I, and they don't, and I don't think it's my play. It's reasonable for anyone to say you're being stupid. This is the actual reasons that that's not a good way of convincing or working with people. And also just in, and also just in, in, in many authoritarian countries, I think the people reason, have reasonable reason to fear that the, the country might know who they are and if they give it over to Facebook then Facebook opens themselves up for lawsuits by those countries to reveal the identities of who posted this where they live etc and, and and so ultimately 
like I don't have a strong opinion on this, but I think it's very important to consider the downsides before any conclusion is reached. I see the ultimate problem being a digital identity problem. You know, when you get down to brass tacks, the fact that no one owns their own data is ultimately one of the major problems here. And the fact that there's no way to verify who these people are and the data that's out there in terms of users, right? So you have millions of of fake users that aren't tied to any real identities anywhere. How do you solve that problem? I mean, the the real solution is some kind of digital identity system, right? And and obviously that's probably going to be nation state based. But you know, from from the Facebook being in the United States, just let's say again, I'm just just brainstorming, throwing things off the you know um, throwing things at the wall here. But if the United States developed their own you know US ID, let's call it US ID system, where everyone was validated like a social security number, but it's a digital identity. I think that's unlikely to be to happen in the United States. I mean, we're the country that doesn't even have a national ID card because people are concerned about privacy. Uh, um, I mean, the U.S. is a very individualistic country. Many people are against vaccine mandates. Many people are against firearm registries and things like that. And I think that there would be significant opposition to that idea as following in the same vein. Yeah, no, absolutely. We we agree from a you know a, a civil and civil liberties or whatever you want to call it perspective. Um, I just I see this as you know social security numbers. Like that's that's a system people have learned to live with, and that is this form of identification. If you have somebody social, you can essentially you know with the right resources know everything about them, right? So that that's sort of where I consider that. And then. On top of that, people already sign away their rights every time they agree to a privacy policy and sign up for an account on a website without even realizing it. So I think, I think you know, those two things combined are a good motivation for a digital identity system. But again, to your point, I have no idea how that would go over. And, and the United States is always lagging behind when it comes to these things. Yeah. I think there are significant privacy concerns, and I think I'm essentially biased on this matter, just as a police chief would have a different opinion on whether on police enforcement as opposed to a uh, uh, police accountability activist. And I think that I, I think that it would be important to have like an EFF person or other privacy advocate in the conversation. Right. No, completely understood. Yeah. Again, just, just throwing things off the wall because I am, I am interested ultimately in, in what the underlying solution here is, but you know, kind of to what we've talked to, there's a lot smarter people out there than me that are, I'm sure are trying to solve this problem. I just, it's, it's interesting to, to talk through, to try to figure out how to, to go about battling this. Right. I mean, it, it really is a problem. I, I spend a lot of time on social media myself, Twitter specifically, but um, you know, majority of the stuff on there, I, I get burnt out just reading it. I'm like, these, like, half of these responses are either useless or not real. And the platforms were designed for a good thing. And now they've, they've ultimately been twisted into these, these crazy Frankenstein propaganda machines that <laughs> are maybe doing more good than bad, but I don't know. 
I think part of the problem is just that it is almost impossible from an outside vantage to tell whether an account is real or fake. And it's very easy to get yourself twisted into paranoia and and confirmation bias because ultimately you don't know whether that person who's following you, who's talking to you, is a real person or a bot. And you can find evidence that fits into your mental model, just like you can not know whether your neighbor is a CIA spy or (laughs) actually who they say they are. And if you and, and of course, if you ask them, they'll say, no, I'm not a CIA spy. But then you can be like, aha, that's exactly what a CIA spy would, be, would say. Right. <laughs> when it's also exactly what a not CIA spy person would say. Right, exactly. And the point I'm making is it's very easy to get yourself twisted into loops and and. Be, because you don't know ultimately what there is going on. And of what you know, you don't know what you don't know. And and th- and that's part of the information asymmetry problem that I've been raising and drawing attention to. Now, thank you for the insight on that. And I agree that awareness of information asymmetry needs to occur. And it's important for people to understand that it exists. Would you mind sharing with the audience how to learn more about you, how to find out more about your views on the subject, where you can be reached? Uh, I assume you're not on Facebook. <laughs> I am not on Facebook. I am on Twitter. I think you have my Twitter address. I have, I have, I, I've done like two AMAs on Reddit. I mean, you can point your listeners to them as well or something. Excellent. Um, so what's next for you? I mean, do you plan on staying in this lane that you're in now? Or have you put any thought into you know what your next move is going to be? Well, right now, I am staying home and petting my cats. They are very good cats. I, I'm not sure why everyone wants to ask me all these questions instead of talking about my cats. My cats are great. I'm definitely not biased at all. Nice. Oh, I can send you a picture of myself with the cat. You can use it as my bio or something. Perfect. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Like I, I'll probably eventually try to get a job. I mean, I would like to keep using my exp- expertise, which, but uh, I mean, that would essentially require me to join the major social media company, which may be a bit difficult. We'll see how that goes. I mean, I mean, I haven't looked for a job yet because I don't think it would be fair for any company for me to go work for them. And I'm like, thanks for giving me a job. Oh, hey, I'm going to go into the press for the next few months. <laughs> thanks for hiring me. Sorry to make enemies of you with all these people. I mean, that wouldn't be fair to anyone. Right. Understood. Yeah. I mean, you know, continue to tell your story. I think it's certainly important for it to be heard on as many platforms as you are willing to share it on. Well, I'm an introvert who doesn't like talking to people and doesn't understand why anyone would want to do interviews or go on podcasts. But we... I mean, we all do things. We all do things that we don't have to want to do. I don't know why anyone would want to wake up at seven a.m. to go into the office, but mo- but everyone has, but many people have to do that. So it's one of the things on those lines. <laughs> so I, I just want to, you know, final notes for me. Just want to say thank you for everything that you've done. I think you know the more people that get out there and do do this type of, and I'll call it activism. Um, without lack of a better term, but the more that this happens, I think the better the transparency gets and the more transparency, the better, right? I think, I think everything, especially, and you know, you can use the, the evil corp analogy, um, that, uh, I don't know if you guys were, were fans of, um, Mr. Robot, but the, the company in that show is called evil corp. <laughs> uh, 
and, and everything was everything was called ecorp it's a good show if you've never checked it out but i i appreciate everything from the transparency aspect because i believe every large corporation should be as transparent as possible um you know to their own to their own detriment if you will even um because that's what they owe the, the citizens especially in the united states so so sophie since this is barcode I have to ask you this very important question. Do you drink at all? And if so, what is your drink of choice? I drink water and juice and soda. I occasionally drink alcohol to prove to myself that I still don't like it. As a scientist, I think it's important to verify this. By drink, I mean like tiny sip to then say, yes, I still don't like it. I mean, it started, it started out. It started off as just a way to get as it started off as a way to just get people off my back because there was social pressure not to drink. Now I think it's sort of like a fan cu- a fan thing to out of curiosity to say um and my girlfriend likes it when she sees all the weird faces I make when I'm like, Oh geez, I don't like this. Why was it a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> so, so so if you had a favorite drink and it doesn't necessarily have to be alcoholic, if you had a favorite drink, what would it be? Like maybe an artist and soda or something. I don't know. I mean, not too much. I mean, there's sugary and etc. I mean, the, the thing I drink the most of is water, of course. Okay. Do you go flavored water or just straight water? Straight water. Well, except I run it through a filter because I'm because I mean I'm Chinese and that's what I grew up doing or something. Gotcha. This, I mean, a lot of a lot of immigrant people do this because they come from they're used to coming from co- countries where the water system is not that great, and you grow up, you get used to it, and it's more just you're accustomed. Yeah, the tap water here isn't great either, so I use a filter or yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I mean, the Bay Area where the tap water is very good, but I still use a filter anyways. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, in the Bay Area, are there any really cool like? Um, I know you don't go to bars, probably, but you know, I was going to say bars, speakeasies, coffee shops. Like, what's big in the Bay Area? I am the wrong person to be asking this question. <laughs> right. Says the introvert who does not drink alcohol and does not drink coffee and <laughs> avoids places with large numbers of people, especially now. So uh, that is my answer. No, no, I get it. I get it. All right. So you, you will be able to answer this one, I think. This is an easy one. If you opened a cybersecurity theme bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? This would probably be a dry bar that does not serve alcohol because they have no clue how to serve alcohol. And they think they should be like things for people who want to socialize but do not want to drink alcohol. And as far as names go, I am terrible at thinking of names. So I would probably sit down for hours and finally <laughs> and finally ask people for suggestions and pick a name that someone else gives me. You could do the dry bar and your signature drink could be water. That sounds very good. <laughs> but, but I'm not... <laughs> Maybe, 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 maybe I'll write dry. Maybe I'll do dry in, Ger- in German and then put three lines or something. That's a pen. There you go. Or we could, we could make it a, a, a cat cafe. I know that's a thing now. Yes, there will be cats. There will be cats in my, there will be cat. I mean, I feel so bad for the cats in cat cafes though. They look like they want to sleep. Uh, like I went to one once and they felt so guilty and terrible because the cats just look like they wanted to sleep. And then they were being bothered by people who kept, who kept trying to pet them and etc. <laughs> like it, like I've, I've, I've never been to one, but it felt almost like I was at a brothel or something. <laughs> understood, understood. I, I, I just thought it's a good way to get them out of the, the shelters, right? I mean, get them into a cat cafe and 
That's that's true. That's that's true. That's fair. I mean, it's it's certainly a better life than being euthanized by by PETA or something like that. But still, absolutely, absolutely. Sophie, again, thank thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yep. Um, sharing the story and and of course, you know, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for the interview. Yeah. Thank you very much. See ya. Barco patrons. If you like this episode and would like to support the podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and visit our Patreon site, patreon.com slash barcode podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, check out the barcodepodcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.